of love and game film the podcast that covers a love of sports and sports movies and sports in general movies in general just you know things that i love and i'm passionate about and as has been typical of my way doing this podcast uh i took a couple of weeks off for a couple of different reasons uh number one being i was at a film festival in Austin, Texas, called Fantastic Fest. It's a festival I've been to before. Talked about it uh, about a year ago when I did a preview for it and uh, reviewed the movie Smile on it about a year ago. And this year, had a pretty good time. Saw some really cool movies that I'm going to talk about in this episode. I'm basically I'm going to do two episodes to cover my favorite six movies from the festival. But perhaps one of the biggest reasons I've taken some time off from the podcast is I haven't particularly been in the best of moods. I think to be to to do a podcast, you kind of have to be in an upbeat mood and sort of get people into what it is that you're talking about. And a couple of weeks ago, I was laid off from my job. I worked at a sports company, which... You can imagine being the content of this podcast, and if you know anything about me personally, working for a sports company was like a dream come true. Um, I got to, you know, monitor live streams. I basically would set events live. It was sort of akin to producing live television in a control room, just not not quite as um, expansive or complicated. A little simpler than that. Uh, it was a great opportunity. I had a lot of fun doing it. I'm really going to miss that job. Maybe there's potential to go back one day, although I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I am. I was not one of those cynical working folks who would think of myself as just a number. If a, play, if a workplace told me that the workforce and all of its employees were like a family, I believed it. And... I'm not going to believe that shit anymore. Uh, so I'm, I'm not in a great place, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, not in a great place, and I'm going to see how many people actually listen to this episode because here I am fully admitting uh, not in a great place. But the past couple of weeks, there actually have been some really cool... Um, one really cool sports story and one kind of infuriating story that... I think deserves to be mentioned. And then we're going to get into reviewing the three movies. So since we've got a lot to talk about, we're just going to get into it. Let's get it popping in this motherfucker. Thank you, Marshawn, as always, for setting that up. So I think over the course of this podcast, if you've been paying attention, you know anything about me, you know that I adore and I absolutely love women's sports. I love basketball, and so when you love basketball, I think it's easy to love the WNBA. I think it's easy to love women's basketball. That should be a given. It's really hard for some dudes out there to grapple with liking women's basketball or they think it means something about their masculine. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I 
why dudes, and when I say dudes, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, I'm a man. I don't really necessarily consider myself, like, a dude. I think a dude is just, like, a dumb, kind of what you would consider from the 90s to be a dumb jock mentality, not in touch with your feelings, that sort of thing. Although, I'll fully admit, not 100% in touch with my feelings, despite the fact that, you know, admitting I'm not in a great place, uh, I'm not going to go to therapy or anything like that. That's just, uh, it's not my way. But back to the episode. Um, No, women, uh, dudes have a hard time grappling with liking women's sports or even giving it a chance. Uh, When other outlets or I've seen Instagram accounts, um, you know, when, when sports center highlights a woman, a women's highlight, um, you know, dudes will just go out of their way to, to crap on it in the comments. And it's like, if, if it's not your thing and if you don't like it, don't watch it. But if it's not your thing, don't comment on it either. If other people are enjoying it, why would you seek to stop that enjoyment? Or why would you bother telling someone who is enjoying something, hey, you may like this. I don't fucking like it. I think it's stupid. It's dumb. It's dumb that people do that. And it's dumb that people take time out of their day to crap on women's sports if they don't like it. If you don't like it, that's fine. But you should really give it a chance. And this week, well, no doubt, one of the biggest stories in women's sports the last year or so has been women's college basketball. Uh, And that's even without future superstar Paige Beckers. Paige Beckers, when she was a freshman and a sophomore, lit up the world of college basketball. And then for her junior year last year, unfortunately, she was injured the entire year. And fans of women's college basketball probably thought to themselves, well, what what's there to keep us excited if Paige Beckers is injured this season? Well, luckily there's Caitlin Clark. Luckily there's Angel Reese. Luckily there's Cameron Brink. Luckily there's Haley Van Lith. There's a ton of college women's basketball players that are really, really great. And Caitlin Clark might be the best of them. She has seemingly unlimited range. Steph Curry-like range. She, in the middle of a game, can pull up from 30, 35 feet, nothing but net, no problem. She lights up college basketball. She goes to the University of Iowa. Well, this past week, the University of Iowa women's basketball program uh, wanted to set a record, and they wanted to break the record for the most people in person watching a women's college basketball game. And so they staged a game in the end zone of Kinnick Stadium where the Iowa Hawkeyes play football. And over 55,000 people went to this game. It was the largest watched college basketball game in history. And under all of those eyes, under all of that pressure, how did Caitlin Clark react? Well, similar to what you hear me say time and time again, it was like a movie. You couldn't have written a better script. Caitlin Clark, under all of these eyes, under all of this pressure, delivers a triple-double, which is not a thing that she normally does. She finished this game with 34 points, 
11 rebounds, and 10 assists. Now this game, those numbers, the numbers overall, aren't just about her. This game beat the previous record of an attendance, which was between UConn and Oklahoma in the 2002 national title game of 29,619. This game had 55,646 people show up. Now this event was also called the Crossover at the Kinnick, and it raised $250,000 for the University Hospital and Medical School. And honestly, if you're a dude who hates women's sports, like, why, can you be mad at that? I don't think you can. And if you can, like, do something better with your life. And let me tell you, man, Iowa Hawkeye fans love Caitlin Clark. Just listen to some of the sounds of the game. Caitlin Clark unloads from the end zone. I'm telling you, and I've been saying this for years, if you give people a chance, they'll not only consume women's sports, they'll absolutely love it. All they need is a chance. So if you're a college basketball fan, Seek out as many Iowa Hawkeyes games as you can this season. Seek out as many LSU women's basketball games as you can. Seek out USC for Juju Wiggins. Seek out, I'm sorry, Juju Watkins. Uh, Seek out Stanford for Cameron Brink. So many, so many amazing women's college basketball programs. Uh, This is going to be a great season. We're going to move on to a much less happier topic and one that, I mean, frankly, it really bothers me in the sense of being somebody who just recently lost his job and being somebody who is now thinking about like every financial purchase and every, every dollar I have going out versus the few dollars coming in. Kevin Porter Jr. is a a future former NBA player. He was recently traded from the Houston Rockets to the Oklahoma City, but to the Oklahoma City Thunder, but you're not going to see him play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. This past summer, Kevin Porter Jr. assaulted, savagely beat up his girlfriend, former WNBA player Kirsa Gondrizic. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name. Nearly broke her neck. Broke, you know, bones in her face. Um, just savagely beat this woman. NBA contracts being what they are. He is in the final year of a $82 million contract. The final year of his contract being worth $16.9 million. Because NBA contracts are what they are, and because the NBA Players Union is what it is, the Oklahoma City Thunder immediately waived him. The Houston Rockets, when it happened, told everyone who would listen that Kevin Porter Jr. was no longer going to be a Houston Rocket. And everyone around the league said he's no longer going to be an NBA player. 
But the contract's being what it is and players union being what it is, he's going to get every every bit of that sixteen point nine million dollars. And it's extremely, extremely frustrating when a guy like that probably gonna go to prison. But he can stash that sixteen point nine million in a bank and let it gain interest and when he's out of prison he'll have a nice little nest egg that'll last him the rest of his life. It's really not worth talking about. But it is sports news and it's one of those unfortunate stories where it is about sports. It highlights a grave injustice and the grave injustice being that this is a guy who's still going to end up with 16.9 million dollars and True, he won't be an NBA player anymore, but hopefully he's got some suffering to go through and karma will catch up with him in the end. We're uh, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. Fantastic Fest. Fantastic Fest is it's the largest genre film festival in the industry. Uh, it happens in Austin, Texas, where I live. I look forward to it. Every year, this year was no exception. And this year delivered maybe my favorite movie that I've seen this year. I have yet to see Killers of the Flower Moon, and I think that's going to end up being my favorite. And it's probably a way obvious and easy choice because it's Martin Scorsese, and I haven't seen it yet, and I'm already thinking it's going to be my favorite. But, you know, who knows? It's It's been a little while since Fantastic Fest has delivered what is maybe my favorite film of the year. I'm trying to think of the last time it happened. It almost always delivers movies that end up in my top 10 at the end of the year. Very rarely does it end up providing me my, uh, my favorite movie of the year, but hands down my favorite movie of fantastic fest this year is a movie simply called kill. Now, while sports movies are among my favorite genre of movie, uh, they're not actually my favorite genre of movie. As much as I love sports movies and doing this podcast, I feel as though I'm filling a void in the internet space, specifically talking about sports movies. And lately, I haven't talked about as many sports movies as I probably should, um, which incidentally, I've got to get on the Beckham documentary I'm waiting for the end of Welcome to Wrexham to to wrap up the entire season of Welcome to Wrexham. Uh, I talked about the Kelsey documentary, which has been... There's been a lot of developments in the Kelsey news front as of late. Um, And that documentary, incidentally, has been the most popular documentary Amazon Prime has ever done. So, hooray for sports documentaries and sports movies. And the Kelseys. Travis in particular. But my favorite genre of movie is is action movies. It's what I grew up on. It's what I it's what I loved as a kid. It's what I what got me excited. Rambo, Predator, Last Action Hero, any Jean Claude Van Damme movie, Double Impact, Bloodsport, like so many fighting and action movies were among my favorite and those were the ones that 
that created the little movie fan in me and stayed with me my entire life. The cool thing about the action genre is there are so many subgenres. You got your buddy cop drama. You've got your you've got your buddy cop films. You've got your revenge. You've got your martial arts. You've got your you know you name it, and there's a subgenre for it. Crime action, thriller action. You can get very very specific with action, and without a doubt. One of my favorite subgenres of action was created in 1988. It is the subject of many a specific and contentious debate every single year. It might not even be the first movie of this kind. But it has since gone on to become the name of the subgenre. 1988, directed by John McTiernan, starring Bruce Willis. Is it a Christmas movie or is it not a Christmas movie? I'm talking about, of course, Die Hard. The Die Hard action movie created the subgenre of guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. It is what I affectionately call the diehard ripoff subgenre. You've got, of course, diehard, diehard 2, all the other diehards. You've got your sudden death. You've got your under siege. You've got Air Force One. You've got Con Air. White House Down. Snakes on a Plane. Speed. So many diehard ripoffs. I could spend hours talking about the subject. And when I sat down to watch Kill, let me tell you a little bit about Kill, first of all. is an action movie from India. Now, I don't know if that speaks to you or not. Last year, there was a little movie called RRR that was my hands-down favorite movie of the year last year. It opened my eyes to the wonder that is Indian action cinema. I think when a lot of people hear Indian movies, they think Bollywood. And they may incorrectly think of, you know, like the musical numbers and a lot of things, a lot of misconceptions that you're going to have. RRR opened up my eyes to a lot of to a lot of Indian movies. I've since seen a few. I've found one Indian sports movie called Lagan that is fantastic. That I will talk about uh, on the show one of these days. But I I've lined up a guest that I'd like to talk about Lagan with, and we'll get to that someday in the future. But not all Indian movies are. Bollywood movies with like the the rich and bright colors and the musical numbers and things like that. Sometimes they have those. Sometimes they don't. I think, I think kill. If you are unfamiliar with this genre of movie, I think kill is one of the easiest 
for someone who either may have incorrect preconceptions or just may not be interested in seeing a movie movie made from India, Kill, I think, is going to be one of the easiest to consume. And the reason for it is because when I sat down to watch it and I realized 10 minutes in that what I'm watching is essentially Die Hard on a Train, I was in. I was 100% in. I was absolutely psyched. On top of the fact that it has a really good romantic story, and you know, it's kind of a wraparound. And for I, for one, I really love romantic stories. And as the movie progresses, you start to think of other great action movies, which is a fantastic thing. For a movie to make you think of other great action movies, that's not, that's not an indictment of that movie. I don't think it's, it's one thing if a movie is trying to be something and fails and you're constantly reminded of its failure in that sense. But when you're watching a movie and you're thinking, my God, this is Die Hard on a Train. This is Under Siege. But Under Siege is an older movie at this point and it stars Steven Seagal and Steven Seagal kind of sucks now. I'm ready for a brand new Under Siege replacement. But hold on. As the movie continues, there are elements of The Raid. If you've never seen The Raid and you love action movies, stop listening to this podcast. Go watch The Raid right now. You can buy it on digital. I don't care how much it costs. It's worth every penny. Buy it right now. Watch it and then come back and listen to this episode. I don't care if you ever come back again as long as you see The Raid. If I if I make one person who's never seen The Raid see The Raid, then I'm happy with this episode. Kill progresses in that way, and it makes you think of those really great action movies. The film kicks off with Commander Amrit. He hitches a ride on a train with his army buddy Varesh, and they're trying to save the love of Amrit's life from an arranged marriage. And... The plans are derailed when a crew of bandits led by a guy named Fani, they take the storm, they take, they, they storm the train. They take all the passengers hostage and Amrit and Varesh decide to take matters into their own hands and take out the gangsters one by one. It's one of the most violent, bloody movies you'll ever see. And there's a reason why the movie is called kill. And you don't find out that reason until about 40 minutes in. One of the interesting th- interesting thing about Indian movies and, you know, indirectly is they're very long, which I don't know if that's a problem with you. It shouldn't be. The title card for this movie doesn't occur until almost an hour into the movie. And this is a two and a half hour long movie worth every goddamn second. When the title card for this movie, Kill, comes out, you understand why the movie is called Kill. And when it happens, you're for one, when it happens, you're already on the ride. You're well established that you are in for whatever it is that this movie is going to, to deliver. You could have stopped watching by now, but you didn't because you're into what's happening. And then the title card. And then you're in for one of the best action movies you'll ever see in your life. 
And beyond that, while the action is happening, while dudes are getting their heads bashed in with fire hydrants or fire extinguishers and things like that, the story still has a heart and it still gives you an emotional journey, which is kind of another aspect of Indian films is that they, they really make you feel something as great, as great as American action movies are. A lot of times there's not a lot of feeling in them and that's okay. Sometimes that's, that's all you want is an action movie with no feeling. Like what feeling is there in the predator? There's not really much of one, but it's a fucking great movie. This movie delivers all of those things that any great action movie does on top of delivering a good romantic story, a good emotional story. It's a mix of melodrama and romance and unusually aggressive amount of violence. Um, it's, it's something that frankly, American directors don't do. The director of RRR and the director of this movie, Nikhil, uh, Nagesh Bhatt, anything they do, I'm a hundred percent in, uh, to talk more about kill, I think would give away too much. Just know that it's going to be one of the best action movies you'll ever see. Um, it, it premiered at fantastic fest. It premiered at beyond fest. I don't know what kind of release it's going to have yet. I am a hundred percent sure that it will find an audience. And when it does rest assured, I will be there to tell you when you should see this and see it as many times as you can. Because unfortunately, another aspect of Indian films is they, they don't really release on physical media. And if you want to see them, you have to see them in theaters or you have to see them on some kind of a streaming service. And as it would be nice to have a physical release of RRR. And I, if there's ever a physical release of Kill, I will buy it twice because I'm going to give it to somebody who's never seen it before. Uh, Kill, absolute Hall of Famer of an action movie uh, in my rating scale. Hall of Fame. Check out Kill. Whenever you can. I'll be sure to tell you when you can. Second Fantastic Fest movie that I want to talk about uh, is also brings up another one of my favorite subgenres. So another genre of movies that I love is horror movies. Horror movies, I don't horror movies, if I were to rank genres, it'd be action, then sports, and then horror. Like I love, I love movies in general. I absolutely love horror movies. Horror movies to me aren't, I mean, they're plentiful, but I don't think they're as plentiful as like action or comedy or sports. Um, I like rewatching horror movies, but I, I don't watch them year round because like once, once you get to like August or September and I come across a new horror movie or I think of a horror movie I want to watch, I'm like, you know what? I'll watch that in October because in October, I like to keep track of all the horror movies that I watch. And, um, once you get to October, I personally kind of extend horror movie watching into Thanksgiving and into my, now if I were to rank subgenres, um, my subgenres, there'd be diehard ripoffs, and then my absolute second favorite subgenre movie would be Christmas horror. I absolutely love Christmas horror movies, and there's way more than you think. 
<laughs> I don't know how, how much of an expert you you may or may not be on Christmas horror. There's a ton of Christmas horror out there. And this year at Fantastic Fest, they brought out another classic that I am going to rewatch as often as possible. I can't wait to get my hands on this movie, to own it, to be able to watch it whenever I want. It's a movie called There's Something in the Barn. If you have an aversion to foreign films and you hate subtitles and things like that, I mean, for one, open up your mind and stop being a little titty baby. And second, yeah, this one's going to be a little bit easier for you to consume because it's, while it's not an American movie, it's a, it's an all English movie, I guess made by Americans. I'm not really sure. It's set in Norway and there are occasionally, um, you know, some Swedish, uh, and Nordic languages throughout this movie, but it's mostly made in English. It has a recognizable face. If you've seen enough movies, I've seen enough movies to know that Martin Starr is one of my favorite actors. Anytime he's in anything, uh, I tend to like it. Uh, he's been in movies ever since from when he was a young kid in Freaks and Geeks to uh, Adventureland. Adventureland is one of my absolute favorite movies. Um, he's really funny in Knocked Up. Like Martin Starr is a great actor. And anytime you see, see him in anything, he's usually really funny. Uh he can do dramatic acting. There's a really great romantic movie called Amira and Sam that he's in that I absolutely love. So Martin Starr is one of these people that when he's in a movie, I'm probably going to see it. I'm probably going to like it. And this was no exception. And he's actually one of the producers of this movie. So the story in this one goes, uh, the family's trying to adapt to a new culture. Bill, played by Martin Starr, he inherits a home from a great uncle in Norway and decides to move his family, pick up and move to Norway. It's never really explained why just because he inherits his house, he decides to move his family from America to Norway. That's not really explored, but it doesn't really need to be. But as they're adapting to a new culture, uh, his son Lucas discovers that there's an ancient elf living uh, in the barn next to the house. And he's specifically called a barn elf because that's the type of elf that he is. There are certain rules that you have to maintain in order to keep the elves happy. And if this sounds a lot like gremlins, you're right. There are rules. But the elves can be really helpful. If you keep the elves happy, they'll do things like clear the driveway of snow for you. They'll chop wood for you. They'll, they'll, take, care, they'll take really good care of your family. Uh, if you piss the elves off, uh, the elves can have a very animalistic uh, style of revenge to them, and there are a lot more of them than you think. And that's really all you need to know going into this movie. Uh, the first two-thirds of the movie uh, are really funny. And then it delves into, similar to Gremlins, it delves into when the elves are actually out for revenge, the things that happen while chaos is running amok are super hilarious there's a lot of really great and funny action scenes with like sledding um funny deaths very gory everything that i think you love you can love about horror and love in a horror comedy especially a christmas horror comedy this delivers in absolutely every single way 
It's directed by Magnus Martins, who has some pretty interesting things on in his resume. He's directed some epi- television episodes of Luke Cage, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, directed some episodes of Fear the Walking Dead. So he knows action, and he knows horror, and everything here is captured really well. Martin Starr, as usual, delivers in this role. is really funny. The writing on this is really great. The kids' performances... Kids have a tendency to not be not be great actors. Uh, I think the kids did really well. The elves in this movie are absolutely hilarious. Uh, they they look like kind of garden gnome elves. They're maybe about half the size of humans, so they're not quite as tiny as maybe you think. But just the the elves are super funny. Uh, I I loved everything about this movie. I would probably give it a very strong, like, 7 out of 10. Um, Absolutely loved There's Something in the Barn. I don't know when or if it's going to have any kind of release. Um, But, you know, I think in terms of Christmas horror, if you're going to have a marathon and things like that, this fits in well with, like, Krampus or, like, Rare Exports. Uh, I think it fits in well even as just kind of a party atmosphere, like, like office Christmas party, things like that. Um, your alternative Christmas movies, like this isn't really going to, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to be the best Christmas horror, horror you'll ever see, but it's going to be one of the more fun ones and one that you'll want to re- revisit a lot. And I put a lot of value in the stuff that you'll want to revisit a lot. And so, yeah, I'd give it a real strong seven out of 10 kind of puts it somewhere between a starter and an all-star. If I were building a team of Christmas horror basket. If I were building a Christmas horror basketball team, yeah, this would be in my top five. It'd be a starter for sure. The final Fantastic Fest movie I'll talk about for this episode. I realize as I'm recording this, two of the three movies that I talk about, I don't know if people are going to be able to view them or how they could view them. I'm sure there's a way, but you know, if you ever come across these movies, Kill and this one that I'm about to talk about, Sleep, uh, just know that they're good movies. <laughs> uh, there's something in the barn I believe might be a shutter release. If not, I'm sure it'll have some kind of a digital release that you'll be able to purchase here in the United States. Sleep is a Korean horror drama Um one thing over the last few or not even a few years that fantastic fest has helped open my eyes to has been the brilliance of Korean cinema. It's because of this festival that I've been, you know, exposed to directors like Kim Ji Wong or Bong Joon Ho who directed parasite, um, that won the Academy award right before the world kind of went crazy with COVID. Um, he directed parasite that won best picture uh, Korean movies are are fantastic. Their action movies are great. There's a lot of subgenres to them. There's a lot of cop dramas, thrillers. A really great one you could see uh, that's a great horror movie is called I Saw the Devil. Um, that's a really great Korean crime horror drama thriller. Kind of a mix of a whole bunch of genres. Uh, Sleep is kind of one of those that you can add to you know, levels of great Korean film, but it's a little bit different than you think. It's, it's played like a horror movie. 
but the things that are happening in this movie, I don't think are in the end horrific. I think, and to, to kind of give the give away the affliction that the husband in this film is suffering from, kind of kind of spoils what's really happening. Um, but even knowing that, I think it's still a really good film. So basically, a young a young couple who's about to who's expecting a baby they begin experiencing weird phenomena at night the husband appears to be possessed and is you know sleepwalking at night and doing things like uh eating raw meat um hurting pets uh, all sorts of different weird things come to find out he's suffering from a similar sleep disorder that American comedian Mike Birbiglia suffers from, and I forget the name of the affliction, but basically he's acting out his dreams. And he gets prescribed by a doctor to do things that Mike Birbiglia has talked about in some of his stand-up acts. He has to sleep in a sleeping bag. He wears mittens so he can't scratch himself. Things like that. And I'm a big believer in the veracity of that disease. I don't suffer from it or anything like that. And I've never seen anybody who does, but I believe the stories that Mike Birbiglia has told. And and it sounds like a valid enough disorder that it seems like the sort of thing that people experience. um, I'm sure. And it can be scary because people are basically acting out their dreams. There have been instances of, of, you know, people hurting or in some cases killing their spouse in their sleep because of whatever it is their dreams are telling them to do and they're acting those out. Um, so it can be a very serious affliction and disease and it can be horrific. The, the way that this movie kind of makes a horror, horror film out of that while explaining to you what's really happening, I think is a great testament to the quality of this film, the quality of, Korean filmmakers. Uh, it's extremely well acted. It's funny. It's scary at times. Uh, it's photographed really well. It's tense throughout. It's just, it's a really, really great and entertaining film all around. Not a whole lot to say really about it other than that. Um, extremely well performed. You're not going to really know any of the names of the people involved, but. Yeah, Sleep, Korean horror film. If you ever come across that, uh, just know that it's well worth your time. It's not a very long movie. It's just over 90 minutes. Uh, it's it's a fascinating movie, and I, I got to ask the director in a Q&A after if, uh, if he had heard of the comedian Mike Rabiglia. And he had, because he actually has researched this disorder. And when you do any kind of research into this disorder... His name comes up because he's the most famous person who suffers from it. And so he's heard of this comedian. A lot of the things, like I said, that he mentions in his act, he puts in this movie. And Mike Birbiglia has also made a movie about this affliction called Sleep Sleepwalk With Me, which is a really funny romantic comedy. Uh, but Sleep, from this year's Fantastic Fest, I would give it an extremely solid th- three out of five now three out of five might not be a very strong score i think for me it is um three and a half might be a little bit too high of a score but it's 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 a very solid worth your time entertaining and kind of informative watch 
Plus, it's a good horror movie. So how can that ever go wrong? Um, that's going to about do it for this episode. Um, yeah, if there are times when my mood kind of sours the, the episode a bit, I apologize for that. I'm, I'm going through some things right now. Not in the greatest of places, like I said. And I'll find out who really listens to this episode. It kind of reaches out and being like, hey, are you okay? Because uh, I'm not okay. But, um, you know, doing this podcast is therapeutic for me. It helps me helps me talk and helps me get my thoughts out. And it's always good to get your thoughts out of your head because you don't want to keep them in your head. Anyways, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at jcdeleon1. You can follow the show on those same platforms, at lovegamefilm. I also do a podcast about the Lakers for a sports website called Sports Ethos. The name of that show is Ethos Lakers. If uh, you like basketball and you like the Lakers, give that one a chance. You can follow that Twitter account at Ethos Lakers, although you don't have to. Um, It's not about movies at all. It's pretty much only about the Lakers. Although I occasionally do solo episodes in which I can kind of talk about whatever I want. So you've got that to look forward to. But yeah, until next time, um, thank you for listening and we are out.